0: Good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning online on in 101-102 and good morning in here as well. Um, Haven't forgotten about you in the room. And I am I'm thankful to have people. um, I don't know if I I say that enough. Um, It's so nice to have people to actually talk to. um, Because in the early days of this, talking to a camera um, only was so hard (laughs) to do. so, anyway, um, when I was in high school, there was this um, kind of new, uh, I don't know if you would call invention, this new technology that, that kind of came out and was a really big hit. And um, it was called a stereogram. And if you don't know what a stereogram is, a stereogram is a 3D computer generated image. And if you will stare at it long enough, a 3D image will begin to emerge within what looks like a massive garbled mess. And so I'm gonna give you in just a second a stereogram. And I'll just kind of a heads up. For those of you watching on this screen, I tried to do it on this screen, it's a little harder to do. On this screen, it's a little easier. If you're on U version on the the events and and following our notes, there's one on there. And so if you're online, I think the TV behind you is gonna give you a great shot at at looking at it. If we get this camera, looking at it. So, this is a stereogram. And if you will stare at it long enough, a 3D image will begin to emerge. So, if anyone gets it, raise your hand. We we have one, two, no, no. We got... What what is it for someone who's seen it? A race car. A race car. They're there in this mess is a race car. And so when these came out, I was back, I think I was in high school. And so people would bring these big poster printouts of them, teachers, and they would set them up in class and they would tell you to stare at them and look, and people would be like, Yeah, if you look at it, there's a giraffe. And it's so funny to listen to people explain how to do this right? You stare at it, you let your eyes go blurry and kind of cross, and then bring them back into focus. And you, and if, if you're on that side where you cannot see those, it is infuriating. Anyone else seen it? How, how many people have it now? few people? Yeah. There, there's not many. I, and I don't have my, my Facebook pulled up. Facebook, if you're online, tell us if you see it. Um, I would love to know. But if you're in the group who has not been able to see one of these ever? How many people walk around like, yeah, that's the biggest hoax ever? Y'all are, this is an inside joke and I'm not in on it. And, and that's what I, I thought forever, right? It was like, yeah, there's a giraffe or there's a flower or there's a spaceship. This actually is a race car. And there's a race car kind of right here angled this way if you can see it. And, and it's maddening if you can't. And so it's one of those things, it's really funny. There are some things in this world that some people can see and other people can't. Now, imagine this there are also some things that some people can hear and other people cannot. When I was a youth minister um, and cell phones were kind of starting to become more and more popular, the teenagers started walking around and, and kind of mumbling hey, there's a ringtone. And I think it was called the Mosquito. And supposedly it was one of those ringtones that younger people could hear and older people could not. And I thought, okay, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's no way that is true. And so kids would like, go, no, listen. And they would play something, supposedly on their phone they would play something, and I would sit there like, I don't hear anything. And all the kids were like, yeah, we hear it. And so again, I thought it was an inside joke. Like, I thought it was a joke, and it was on me. Like, everyone's walking around, they have this. But here's the thing. Scientifically, there are some frequencies that the older you get, the more difficult they are to hear. Your ears age with the rest of your body. And there are some sounds, some frequencies, and there there are some formulas along with that where people can tell how old you are or how old your ears are by the sounds you can hear. So I'm going to give you a a hearing test, okay? And in just a second, we're going to start this hearing test. And as you hear the sound, I want you to raise your hand. And what you're going to notice, and and I tested this around people in the office. I think Darla helped me with this. There, There were several people kind of walking around that I was testing this, and it was incredibly accurate. I show up on this as 43, two, two years older than I am. So my ears might have something to do with my wife. Um, okay, delete that part of the sermon. That does not need to go on record. I love you, honey. She's at home with our youngest this morning. So um, there, there are some things. So here's the, the, the test. Go. Go. Raise your hand when you first hear the noise. This next test is gonna test the hearing stop. Is that not crazy? And some some of y'all are like, yeah, that hurt my ears. I'm sorry, but is that not crazy? There are literally frequencies and sounds that you can hear and that others can't. And the older you are, the harder it is to hear those those frequencies. And I'll I'll just tell you, it works a lot better. That's supposed to be done with headphones at a computer. So it doesn't work quite as well in here. It worked a lot better in my office, but when we tested it in here, it was still pretty, pretty close. But isn't that amazing? There are some things in this world that you can see and others can't. And there are some things in this world that you can hear, and still others can't. Now, here's the question for you. Is it possible there are sights and sounds of the kingdom you may not be able to see or hear? Because we know there are noises. We we know there are, are images that you can hear, that you can see, and others can But when it comes to the kingdom of God on this earth and God working in this world, is it possible there are some sights and sounds of the kingdom you may not be able to see or hear? Now I want you to listen to these words from Mark. Starting in verse 9. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything is said in parables so that, here's the reason it's said in parables, so that they may be ever seen, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. There are some things in the world that you have the ability to hear that others cannot. And there are some things in this world that you may have the ability to see that others cannot. And Jesus tells these things in parables so that they will see them and not grasp them, so they will hear them and not understand them, because if they do, they would turn and be forgiven. They would turn and be healed. And the question that comes to my mind is, well, is Jesus trying to deceive them Why is he trying to hide certain things from certain people? Now, remember, context, 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 context is so important. Jesus is preaching at a time when Rome rules the world. And this is Caesar's world. Herod is king over this world. And you have these stories where people keep coming to Jesus from all over the place. You have these impure spirits coming and falling down before Jesus, begging His forgiveness. You have these large crowds following Him. Last week we had these Pharisees and these family members calling Him crazy or possessed. So why is it that Jesus would come along... And say things to people in a way they might not be able to see or hear the truth of what he is saying. And part of the reason is because Jesus' message of good news is so subversive that it is a threat to people. And in fact, it's doubly dangerous. Because you have people in power who hear this news and these crowds flocking from everywhere saying, hey, Messiah has come. There's a new king. And if you're in a place of power, that is a threat. But there are also people who are hopeful for a new king. And their expectations of what this new king will do in this world and how he will take power are pretty set. We think he's going to ride in on his white horse with a sword in his hand and he's going to kill and make it to the top where he stands in power. And so you have people on both sides with these expectations of what the new king is going to be like and what it's going to be like when he comes to a place of power. And so Jesus is telling this in a parable as a way to help mask for a time what he is doing so that only a few certain people can hear and see and understand. I think a great parallel. One day I walk in and I say, you know what, I am going to be the new president of the United States. I'm not, we're not voting, I'm just going to become it, and a few of you hear my message and think, that's a great idea, which honestly should be no one. <laughs> terrible idea. I will just tell you, one hundred percent terrible idea. Um, but but some of y'all get on board and like, yeah, and you get on social media and you start, hey, Gary's the new new president. It's just it's just a matter of time before we take over, and everyone has kind of expectations of how this is gonna. Be be happening, and some people get wind of this, and, and some people are angry because well, we, we don't want a new president, and there's other people who are angry because he's not moving fast enough, and there's this kind of, and eventually if we, we kept, you know, shouting that from a megaphone long enough, I would end up on every FBI watch list there is. Like Secret Service would have my picture on their fridge in the break room. They would be watching everywhere. And and so in a way, here's what Jesus is, he's coming into this world and saying, hey, there is a new king. Here's the announcement. I am Messiah. I'm the new king of the world. If that means if there's a new king, what does it mean for Caesar and Herod? It means their power is threatened. What does it mean for these people who are coming everywhere, who are hearing news of Messiah and hoping for a new reign, a new king? Man, things can't go fast enough. And so Jesus starts telling these parables, and just if you're wondering and you're not real sure, what is a parable? Here, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. There was one parable just a little bit earlier where Jesus says it's not the the, the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. He's taking these everyday comparisons and giving them a parallel spiritual or moral meaning. And so Jesus has told them a parable. And then he finishes with, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, there are going to be people who hear these stories of Jesus and don't hear the story of Jesus. There are going to be people who see the story of Jesus unfold right before their very eyes and don't see the good news of the gospel. And so, in this series, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, we're asking a question that's so important to us, and it's who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And each week we're allowing Mark to kind of set someone on the witness stand and ask them some questions because they lived their life with Jesus during the time that Jesus was walking the earth. And so these aren't people that heard story after story after story from different people about Jesus and Jesus' claims. These are people that walked with Jesus, encountered Jesus, talked to Jesus, maybe were healed by Jesus, who confronted Jesus, and this week... I think Mark puts Jesus up on the witness stand. He says, Jesus, why don't you give us a testimony about yourself? We're asking the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say that you are? What is it about your kingdom that would be different? And Jesus, as you would know, doesn't give you the answer, well, I am the king, I am Messiah, I am coming, and here's what's going to happen, and he doesn't give us this straightforward, simple answer. He tells it in a parable. And and as I was saying, why why in a parable? Why why in this simple story that has a moral or spiritual lesson? And one thing I've, I've learned in life, there are some lessons that are far more powerful when you come to the conclusion on your own rather than when you are told because when you have to search when you have to seek when you have to dig for the answers that's when we truly learn it that's when we truly value that lesson so the question through this morning is it possible there are sights and sounds of the kingdom you may not be able to see or hear and more importantly if there are sights and sounds that you may not be able to see or hear. What gives you the ability or the inability to hear and see those sounds? So we're going to start in verse 1 of Mark 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, he sat in it out on the lake. "'while all the people were along the shore "'of the water's edge. "'He taught them many things by parables, "'and in his teaching said, "'Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. "'As he was scattering the seed, "'some fell along the path. "'The birds came and ate it up. "'Some fell in the rocky places "'where it did not have much soil. "'It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. "'But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. "'They withered because they had no root.' Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So he tells this parable. To this large crowd of people, a crowd so large as more and more people get word that there is this new Messiah, there's this healer doing these miraculous deeds, the demons are obeying him, he's healing people who have leprosy, and these crowds are so large and massive that Jesus has to kind of get into a boat and push back offshore a little bit, and people are standing there at the shore listening to these words from Jesus. And he tells this parable, and then basically says, if you can hear it, if you can see it, great. And then seemingly walks off stage. Which, to me, if you have this good news, why don't you tell them in a way where it makes perfect sense? I mean, I'll just tell you, as a preacher and a communicator, Like, I spend a lot of time trying to think, well, how do I tell this so this makes sense? How do I tell it so people can make a connection? And Jesus just tells this parable and then just walks off. And even his disciples are going to be left with these questions like, what did that mean? Jesus, what were you talking about? The people who have been with him, walking with him, are confused by his message. But some observations first from the text. First, the farmer scatters the seed everywhere. Right, he's walking along, he's scattering seeds. Some falls on the path surrounding it. Some falls in rocky places where the soil is not good. He just he's scattering seed everywhere. One of the, my favorite times of the year. Um, in baseball season was before baseball season, back when I played, um, back in the day, um, long ago. Because the end of fall and early winter, they would come in, and we had a gorgeous field, one of the the best playing surfaces in Arkansas. I I loved our field. But during that time of year, they would come in, and they would overseed with ryegrass. Has anyone ever really been around good, good ryegrass where it gets really thick? Thick, thick, thick and luscious. It's kind of cool to the touch. And they would spread it everywhere. And the the cool thing about ryegrass is it doesn't have deep roots. So it comes up really, really fast. And so they would spray it and spread it out, and it would just take over. I mean, it would be on the warning tracks. There'd be ryegrass popping up. It would be on pieces of turf that were laying around the dugouts. I mean, it didn't need anything, and it would pop up. But the second that first kind of warm wave of, of weather came through, as it, it started to turn to spring, like the ryegrass was gone and that Bermuda was there. But I loved the ryegrass. It, it was cool after practices on days where it was like in the 50s and just to take off your shoes and walk through it because it's so soft. But the problem is it wouldn't last. Like it has no root. I mean, it it will grow on turf. It has no root. So this farmer is scattering the seed everywhere. Secondly, the success of the seed is not dependent on the farmer. Especially agriculturally during this time, there was very little they could do to help it grow. They could do some fertilization and stuff, but the, the seed was dependent on sources outside the farmer to help it grow. right? All he had to do was scatter the seed. And third, the seed's success is dependent on the condition of the soil. It was dependent on where it was dropped. And so Jesus finishes this parable about a farmer, which, you know, this is kind of a disconnect for us. We, We don't have a whole lot of farmers in here? Um, Anyone Anyone a farmer? Anyone? Who's going to come correct me on all my farming technology? Good. Good. There's no one here. Hopefully online you can't really answer back, so I don't know. But he finishes this parable, and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I told them these things in parables so that they would see it, And not grasp it, so they would hear it and not understand it. Because if they did, they would turn and be forgiven. So, as Grayson read earlier, and Grayson, fantastic job. You did such a good job, buddy. That is from Isaiah. And God tells this faithful prophet that he's going to go and preach a message to unfaithful Israel. But his preaching, is actually going to have the opposite effect of what he hoped. It's not going to soften their hearts. It's actually going to callous their hearts more. It's going to, and we think, well, is God callousing their hearts? I don't think it's God who does that. I think it's the condition of our heart, and God's word, because of the condition of our heart, pushes us more in that direction. I think that's what Isaiah is trying to communicate to them. They're gonna hear this message and they're gonna harden their hearts because they do not have a humble spirit. Remember, we talked about last week in the end of John this unforgivable sin? And we we said, well, is it really unforgivable? Is it? And the essence of what Jesus was saying was not that, hey, there's no way back, it's not that you can't be forgiven but it's rather once you begin down this road, it's so difficult to come back. And we talked about the um, movie Back to the Future 3, where they had this windmill set up and this point of no return. And once they passed the windmill, they could not come back. And as I was using this illustration, Marshall May texted me and said, I got a better one for you. Yoda, (laughs) once you start down the dark path, Forever will it dominate your destiny. Continue it. Continue, you will. Sorry, I can't talk like Yoda. I can't do a Yoda voice. Sorry. But it's this idea that that once you begin down this path of pride, of arrogance, of calloused hard-heartedness, it is almost impossible to be healed of. It's almost impossible to turn around from because to do that takes an incredible spirit of humility. It takes a spirit of humility to say, I've been going the wrong way and I need to follow the correct path once again. So you remember this phrase, and I, I, I touched on it just last week for just a brief second. But when Jesus calls his disciples, he begins with this phrase, he called to him those he wanted. Remember? Jesus calls the disciples and he says he called those he wanted. What was it that made those disciples so special that Jesus wanted them? And I will tell you, I think it was because they were in the middle of the two groups, the groups in power and the groups with these expectations. They were this group that said, we're willing to follow you, Jesus, wherever it leads and however that looks and whatever it takes to accomplish it. Because so many times we come to Jesus with these expectations of how the kingdom of God is supposed to work and how it is supposed to be fulfilled in this world. And Jesus asks us to follow him unquestionably. And I think this year for me has been one of those years like never before where it's been Jesus saying, you've got to trust and you've got to follow because I hate not knowing what comes next week. This week, this year, like never before, has made all of us have this deeper sense and level of trust because we don't know what tomorrow looks like. There's no way to plan for the uncertainty that we have. Right now, I've been getting more and more hopeful. I've I've heard people getting shots and vaccines, and I've heard people who have had it who are getting well, and I've been more and more hopeful, but I still, we don't know what tomorrow looks like. We, We don't have any clue. And this year has reminded us of that more than ever. And I think what Jesus is looking for in every one of these disciples that he calls, he's not looking for the people that have it all figured out and who know all the answers, and who look the part. He's looking for people who are in a place of hopelessness, and their only hope is to follow someone else, to submit their life to a new king. And there is nothing in this world that makes all of us more uncomfortable than being in that place. And I won't speak for you. There is nothing in this world that makes me more uncomfortable than being in a place where I don't know what comes next. Because we're planners and we're dreamers And we're thinkers, and it's so hard when we don't know. Jesus doesn't come and call the religious elite who have it all figured out. He doesn't come and call the people who have power and who have everything to lose. He goes and calls the people who are at the end of their rope, who are outcast in society. And he says, come follow me. Those are the ones he wanted. Those are the ones that weren't his second choice because the others weren't available. Those were the ones he wanted. And here's my question. How could everyone have seen and heard Jesus? Everyone had access to see and hear his stories. And yet some were unable to see and hear. How could all of them sit there and listen beside a lake? And yet some see the Son of God, Messiah, King of the world. And others see a crazy lunatic. How could they see different things? And I was reminded there's this, this place in Exodus as they're fleeing from the Red Sea. They're, they're walking through the water. And I want you to listen to these words starting in verse 19. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. There's this cloud that separates them. And one group can see and the other can't. And it's all based on where they're standing. And I would say it's all based on the posture of where they're standing. One stands in the place of power ready to attack. And the other is in the place of hopelessness running for their life. And one can see and the other cannot Do you want to see and hear the sights and sounds of the kingdom of God? Do you want to? Because Jesus gets his disciples alone with him after everyone's kind of spread out. There's still this, this little crowd and this disciple group. Then Jesus said to them, verse 13, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you be able to understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the, so, the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and it takes away the word it was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on the rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like a seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So he explains this, and he says there's those that are on this path, kind of the outcast, and they hear, and they don't really care. And there's others that are on the rocky soil, and things get really difficult. They're like that ryegrass that has no root. Things get really difficult, times get hard, and they just kind of walk away. There are some who get stuck in the thorns and the worries, and I, I love the, the deceitfulness of wealth, I think where you start trusting in, in your wealth. And the desires of this life choke out that faith. And then there's this good soil. And as I was was kind of meditating and thinking about this all the last couple weeks, I think I've been all of those soils at different points in my life. I think we, we think of it in terms of, well, just which one are you? But I think the better question might be which one are you right now? Which one are you right now? Are you the seed on the path that you hear the Word and you just don't really care? Are you the one in the rocks where you don't have much root right now because you're not rooted deeply in Christ? Are you the one that's in the thorns and choked out by the worries and wealth and desires, or either one that's good soil. And like I said, I think I've been all of these at different points in my life. But your ability or inability to see and hear the sights and sounds of the kingdom is entirely dependent on the condition of the Soil. Your ability or inability to see and hear the sights and sounds of the kingdom of God is entirely dependent on the condition of the soil. What does that condition need to look like to become that good soil that's producing this crop 30, 60, 100 times? And I would say it's simply from a posture of humility. Humility. It's from this posture and the stance of I don't have it all figured out and I don't know all the answers and I know that I am sinful and I cannot make it on my own. I know I am in need of grace. I'm in need of help. God, save me. It comes from that spirit. I wonder how easy it is. Because even the disciples were In danger of this. I wonder how easy it is for all of us to move from this humble spirit to a haughty spirit. From a place of humility to a place of pride. A place where we have all the answers. I I talked to someone who had come out of a life of drugs and alcohol and addiction and a year on the other side as they kind of got their life clean. She told me, it's so difficult now on this side to not look back at the people where I used to be and think, how awful, how could you ever get there? How quick of a journey it is to fall back into that sense of pride. And I know about myself, I'm far more judgmental of the people who now stand where I once stood It is all about a spirit of humility. And I just want to ask this morning like what, what seed or what soil are you right now? Not not kind of in the grand scheme of your life, but like right now at this moment. Where are you in your relationship with Christ? Because looks can be so deceiving. I mean, if you were just to walk on the scene during Jesus' day, and who, who was it who's supposed to have it all together? Who has it figured out? It would be the Pharisees. It would it'd be the religious elite. We'd look at them and say, they've got it together. They know what's going on. And I wonder how many times it might be describing you and I, where we look the part, and yet at that moment those roots aren't Deep. because you look at the people that Jesus encountered over and over again. There was a man with leprosy and someone who had an impure spirit and the tax collectors and the sinners. There were those dead. There was a dead girl that we'll look at in a few weeks and a sick woman. There were these people that were hurting and these people that were looking. There were people who were possessed by a demon. There were people who were not... Jewish, there was people again possessed by an impure spirit, there were people who were hurting and searching, there's blind Bartimaeus, there's a Roman centurion, and all these people look like the people that would be on the path, they would be on the margins, and yet those are the ones that God stops and sees, the, one he, the ones he encounters, the ones he calls to you. This morning, I just want you to stop for a second. Just close your eyes. How is the condition of the soil right now? Is it humble? Is it filled with the Spirit? Is it seeking the will of Christ every day? Is it searching? Is it seeking? Is it longing for? Is it loving God? And if it's not, could today be just simply a a chance to start over? For God's mercies to be made new once again today. That you could find His grace in a humility. We could repent and turn, because then, then we might be able to see, and then we might be able to hear, then we would turn and be healed. Father, in this place today, there's so many people in so many different places, whether online or in another room, but Father, all of us have spirits, have souls that at times wonder off the path and at times don't look much like the spirit of Jesus living in us and so today father may you or may we with humble spirits approach you again plead and beg for your grace and father may we once again see the sights and sounds of the kingdom that are all around us. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and grace. We pray together. Amen.